Right, let's get into the Word of God. Book of James, chapter 5, just one verse. James, chapter 4, I should say. And verse 7. James 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Therefore, resist, sorry, therefore, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen. Submission is not something that comes naturally to fallen man. The Adamic nature has a tendency, there's a bias uh, to resist submission. The infant very quickly learns how to say no. <laughs> Those of us who had children understands that very well. If your child hasn't learned to say no yet, it very soon will. Trust me. Teenagers are apt to rebel at some point in their young lives. They're stretching their wings, they're forming their own opinions, and they want you to know that. As adults, we demand our way, our rights, and we insist upon it. The number one song in crematoriums in Great Britain is Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way. A fact, that's the truth. So our wills become paramount. The battle for supremacy it rages and being fought out every day in the classroom, in the factory floor, in the office, in the divorce courts, in the corridors of power, among the politicians, and dare I say it, even in the churches. People's wills want to be paramount. Yet how far removed all of this is from the Spirit of Christ, the one who wholly submitted himself to the will of the Father. How alien all of this is to the teaching of Scripture. The word here for submit is used in several places in the New Testament. Luke chapter 251, uh, Luke uses it when he talks about Jesus as a boy submitting to his parents. In Romans chapter 13, if you care to have a little look at that with me just for a moment, Romans chapter 13. It says in verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Of God, And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. 
For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So there's a very clear, explicit command that we are to submit to authority, to the governing bodies. You'll find it in the New Testament with the early church. Uh, And the only exceptions really are when we are to obey God rather than man. But other than that, you'll find that the uh, churches and the ministers, the apostles and the disciples did not take up a whole tirade against the government and fight against them. They accepted it. It was a pagan government and it was a Roman government. It could be a very cruel, oppressive government. But yet they get on with it. And we see here that Paul encourages that submission. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 13, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the kings as supreme or to governors or as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, and that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. So there's a very clear command that we should endeavor with all effort to honor those who are uh, in government. In fact, we're supposed to pray for our government. I know we moan and we groan and we complain and we gripe and sometimes we... Uh, make a point of pointing out where they go wrong. But nevertheless, we should pray for those who are in government because, believe it or not, they are appointed by God. Somebody says that sometimes God's judgment on a nation is the government that it gets. Sometimes the government it deserves to get. Uh, But anyway, that's another story. That's another message which we'll not go into tonight. You'll be glad to hear Uh, In Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul speaks there about another kind of submission. He talks about submission within the home, within the bonds of marriage. And he's very strong on that also. And there there should be a mutual submission as well, by the way. He speaks about that in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. And then he also speaks about in the workplace, wherever you're serving. And again, 1 Peter chapter 2, just reading a little further from when we last read in verse 18, it says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one's endures grief, suffering wrongfully, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to you, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And of course, in Titus chapter 2, you don't need to turn to all these, just let me read it for you. Verse 9 
Paul says, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And then there is not only submission to the governing powers, not only submission within the bonds of marriage in the home, not only submission within the workplace, but also submission in the church itself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the Apostle Paul writing here, in verse 15, he says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that is, the first fruits of Acacia, that they, they, that they, that they have devote, devoted themselves, I need to get these teeth fixed, that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. So the, again, within the church, there is a mutual submission one to the other. The Bible talks about in honor, preferring one another. And then again over in First Peter chapter 5 this time. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who, entrusted, who, who are entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And then one final verse on that in Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So there is submission within the church, and the leaders are not to lord it over the body of Christ in the church, but the body of Christ in the church is supposed to submit to leadership, as long as they're not lording it over and are not doing it for filthy looker and all the rest of it. And so there is this submission that is within the church, that is within the workplace, that is within the marriages, that is within uh, uh, the government, that is within the home, even children to parents. All of that is submit. Why do you think the Bible says so much about submission? Because the Adamic nature does not want to submit. We want to rebel. We want to have our way and do it our way, and have it only our way. And that's rebellion, and God hates that. So, he says, therefore, submit to God. Three reasons why we should submit to God. First of all, because He created us. 
Paul says in Romans 9, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me like this? Genesis 1.27, God created man in his image. And Revelation 4 and 11, it tells us that God created us. He made us. And we are made for his pleasure. We are made for his good pleasure. Now, we submit to him because he created us. Now, this is a major, major issue today. People say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. Why do they say that when there's evidence all around them? Because the heart is not right. The heart does not want to submit to God. If you say, I believe in God, and I believe there is a God, then it follows. What are you going to do about that? What does that logically lead to? Submitting to that God. But mankind doesn't want to do that. We want to rebel against God. And so we need to be careful. He created us. He formed us. He made us. We belong to Him. In Colossians 1, 16 and 7, it tells us that He created us for Him. We were made for Him. So therefore we should submit to him. It's not the thing that happens when you become born again. It's not the first thing that happens. You submit yourself to God. You acknowledge him and you submit to him. Secondly, because he commands us. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he who has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Somehow, the church has got away from wanting to keep God's commands. Because somehow when you talk about submitting and keeping his commands, somehow it seems oppressive that God's wanting to put you down. Actually, it's for our benefit. It's for our good. And Jesus says, he who keeps my commands, it is he who loves me. His commands are not grievous. His commands for us are good. And if we keep them, life will be a lot better. But there's a tendency to rebel, is there not? And thirdly, because he crowns us. He crowns us. What does he crown us with? He crowns us with honor. He crowns us with glory. Let me just remind you of Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. We are the jewel in God's creation. There is nothing higher and this universe that's created better than man. Now we know that we're a little lower than the angels at this present time because of our limitations. But one day the Bible says we will rule over the angels. So we are the highest in God's creation. 
and God has crowned us with honor and he's crowned us with glory. In James 4 and 6, it says he's crowned us with grace. In Romans 9, it says he's crowned us with glory. And so when we submit ourselves unto God, we find that God crowns us with grace and he crowns us with glory and he crowns us with honor and he crowns us with favor because he delights to do that. It's helpful if you understand that we are created in the image of God and that God has crowned us. And that when God looks on this earth, he sees us as his masterpiece. I know it's hard to believe when you look at us sometimes, isn't it? You look at yourself in the mirror, it doesn't look too good sometimes, especially first thing in the morning or last thing at night. But God sees beyond that physical. He sees something that's very special in this earth. Those who love him those who obey his commands, those who submit to him. This world is in rebellion against God. This is the planet of rebellion. Out of all of the billions of planets in the universe, there is one that is in rebellion against God, and this is it. There's one planet that shakes its puny fist at God and says, I will not submit I will not believe. I will not follow. We will not have this man to rule over us, they said about Jesus. And so you can see why when God looks down upon this rebellious world and he sees people that simply submit to him, that own him as Lord and Savior, that has bent the knee to him, that brings him great joy to know that we are his children. Three areas in which we should submit to God. First of all, we should submit to God's will. Romans 12 and 1 and 2 talks about the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God. There is nothing more satisfying. There's nothing to give you more confidence. There's nothing to bless you more than to know that you are in the will of God. Now, there's God's broad will for every believer, but then there's God's specific will. There's a path for you to walk. And when you know you're doing what God wants you to be and you are what God wants you to be, that is a wonderful thing to know that you are obeying the will of God. In Acts chapter 21, the Apostle Paul was saying goodbye to some dear friends. He was leaving to go to Jerusalem. And they began to prophesy. And even Agabus came down took his girdle off and tied Paul with it and said, the man that's been tied with this girdle, in effect, when he goes to Jerusalem, the Jews is going to hand him over to the Gentiles. And so the Holy Spirit was warning him not so much not to go, but this is what's going to happen when you do go. But those who gave the prophecy didn't want him to go. They didn't want him to suffer. They didn't want him to go and to be handed to the Gentiles. And so they pleaded with him. But then, here's what they said in Acts 21, 14. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Paul was going to do the will of the Lord anyway, no matter what they felt, no matter how they wanted him not to be hurt. He says, listen, not only am I willing to go to Jerusalem for the Lord, I'm willing to die for the Lord in Jerusalem if necessary. And so when he said that, 
They said, the will of the Lord be done. We cannot change his mind. Paul was absolutely submitted to the will of God, even to his own hurt. Would we be submitted to the Lord to our own hurt? It's lovely if you get a wonderful prophecy and somebody tells you God's going to mightily bless you. We want to submit to that. But what if somebody told you that there's going to be a period of a very dark time that you're going to have to go through? Would you want to submit to that? Would you not want to resist that? Would you not want to say, maybe that's the devil speaking. That couldn't be God. Well, Paul says, no, this is God, and it's the Holy Spirit, and he's showing me what's going to happen. But he knew that anyway. It was just confirming what he already knew. So they said, the will of the Lord be done. No better place to be than in the will of the Lord. So we submit to God's will, and we submit to God's word. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the last recorded words on earth in the Bible that she spoke was at the marriage feast of Cana. Remember what she said? Whatever he says unto you, do it. Whatever he says, listen to what he's going to say and then do it. Isn't it interesting that those are the last words that's recorded that she ever spoke? Because she was there at the cross. She was there at the resurrection. She was there on the day of Pentecost. She was in the upper room like the rest. Don't you think she would have a lot to say? But the Holy Spirit left that hanging there. And I think that's interesting. That the very last words that's recorded, whatever he says to you, do it. That's how important his word is. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we try our best to do God's word, don't we? For the most part, we try to find out what God's word is and we try to do that word because we want to be obedient to the word as much as we possibly can be. We want to be obedient to the word of God. And then the third thing, we submit to God as God's ways. Submit to God's ways. Revelation 15 and 3, just and true are your ways. Deuteronomy 32, 4, all his ways are just. When you see that God's ways are the right way and the best way for your life, it's easier to submit that, isn't it? If you know somebody's thinking the best for you, if somebody comes to you and says, look, I want you to do this, and you know that person's heart, and you know that person wants the very best for you, and what they're asking you to do is going to be good for you, then it's easy to submit to that. And so when we read God's Word, and we know what God's will is, and we know that His plans for us are good and not for evil to give us a hope in the future, then it's easier for us to submit to that and to submit to God's ways. In Isaiah 55 and 7 and 8, he says, my ways are not your ways. Let's read that. Psalm 55. Sorry, Isaiah 55. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Now, what we should do is look at the couple of verses before that. See the context. Verse 6, Seek the Lord where he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. He's talking about people who have been rebellious, who are not submitting to his will. So he says, come back to me. Accept my will. Submit to me. Why? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. Heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. As the rain comes down, the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but the water of the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish what I please, it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it, if you only obey my word. For you shall go out with joy, be led out with peace. The mountain shall, and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God's ways are better than our ways. And if we get to know God's ways and we get to walk in His ways, we'll find they're just and they're true. And Job 5.17, it says, Behold, happy is the man whom the Lord corrects. Even when the Lord has to correct us, it's for our good and His ways are just. They're good. Have you ever felt the correction of the Lord? Have you ever felt rebuked by the Lord? Did you ever have the Lord pull you up short and stop you in your tracks and you get the feeling, I'm heading the wrong way, I'm doing the wrong thing? Why does the Lord do that? Because He wants us to walk in His will and His ways and His word. Because that's the best for us, isn't it? And then he says, after you have done all that, and this is why this is always taken out of context, isn't it? James 4 and 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Nine times out of ten, when that verse is quoted, it's only the second half that's ever quoted. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But notice the order here. Deal with self then deal with Satan. Therefore, submit yourself unto God. Deal with self. Then resist the devil. Then deal with Satan. Because all the resisting without the dealing with self is not going to accomplish very much. Spiritual submission before spiritual warfare. We have to bend before God before we can stand before the evil one. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If he's not fleeing, then we have to wonder why and we have to question ourselves. And say, well, there's a part of me that's not submitted. Am I fighting some way God's purpose and God's will 
or something. So what do we resist? What about the devil do we resist? We resist his lies for a start, don't we? Jesus said that not only is he a liar from the beginning, but he's the father of lies. And there is no truth in him, Jesus said. And so when you hear something or you read something or a thought comes to you that is not in line with God's word or God's will or God's ways, you know where that's coming from. It can only be coming from one place. And that's what you have got to resist. You've got to resist the devil. He's very clever. He's very subtle. In Colossians chapter 2, this is why Paul warns here in Colossians 2. Verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now notice this. Beware lest anyone cheat you, and that word in the margin says, plunder you or take you captive. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Every single day that we live, there is a philosophy out there. There is a mindset. There's a worldview that's the total opposite to the Word of God. It's the total opposite to Christ. And it was real then, and it's real today. And not only is it in the world, but it creeps into the church. The biggest battles that Paul is speaking here in the church was stuff that was coming into the church that was deceiving people. And Paul was fighting against it, and John fought against it, and Peter fought against it. Philosophy, empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, not according to the basic principles of the world, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And so we need to watch and be careful, and that's why we need to line things up with the Word of God. The Bible talks about doctrines of men. The Bible talks about doctrines of demons. The devil can talk plenty. And so there's the doctrines of men and there's the doctrines of devils. And you and I need to know the difference between the two. And that's why we have got to know and understand the Word of God. 
so that when they come against us, either in the world out there, the philosophies, or rather the doctrines of devils that comes into the church, we ought to know the difference and stop it and not let it get in. You think that's not a problem? Believe me, it's a big problem. It's a problem then, it's a big problem today. Many a preacher, many a church has been shipwrecked because they allowed a false doctrine to come in and they ran with it till they became shipwrecked. So we need to resist the lies of the devil. We need to resist his temptations, his thoughts, his attractions. Sin can be very attractive, don't you know that? If it wasn't, people wouldn't be so keen to do it. But it's very, very attractive. And it's sugar-coated. If you knew immediately that if you took that drug or you took that thing or you did that, that immediately you would die, the consequences, you would die right there and then, you probably wouldn't do it. But he doesn't present it that way. He presented it as something that's good and it's fun, and it's healthy. And if you don't do it, you're being all fuddy-duddy and all the rest of it. And people just enter into that until at the end, it does them great harm. And so we need to resist his lies. How do we do that in closing? We submit ourselves to God. Therefore, submit yourself unto God, then resist the devil. Submit to his word, submit to his ways, submit to his will, then put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? To stand against the wiles. The word wiles is where we get the word method from. The methodology of the devil. Because he has wiles, he has methods. His ways. So we need to put on the whole armor of God. We need to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. We need to have the sword of the Spirit. We need the belt of truth. We need our feet shod with the sandals of the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to be fully armed with the armor of God. And then, of course, we have to use the Word of God, the very thing that Jesus used in the temptations. Why did he use that? Because that was the best thing to use. And also because it was something that we can use. If Jesus had done something against those temptations that's impossible for us, what hope would there be against the evil one? But he used the very thing that's available to us today, the word of God. And once he used that, and once we use that, it becomes the sword of the Spirit according to Ephesians chapter 6. And so that's part of the armor that we have got. So therefore, submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from We're going to pray.